Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 85, Encountering a Living Universe with Gordon White. In this episode, we welcome Gordon back to the podcast, where we talk about his new book, Annie.Mystic, about some of his favorite ideas for living in this world, his travels, and shamanic healing. Before we get to the show, I would like to announce that I am now offering my services as a professional horary astrologer. So if you would like a question answered, you can hit me up at info at and I will do a horary analysis for you uh, for a small fee. And I'd like to thank everyone who has taken me up on the offer for the free horary readings. I really learned a lot from doing those. Um, and I'm learning more every day. So uh, let's get to the show. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so today on the Plant Cunning Podcast, we have Gordon White returning. And we're really excited to talk with Gordon. Um, it will be a lot on his uh, newer book. Uh, it came out this spring. Animistic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Animistic. Animistic. I like all the puns. Mm-hmm. Um, and he dot mystic, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and you've done several interviews about this book, and we don't want to, you know, cover all the same ground and ask all the same questions, but I think there are some very important topics in here that we definitely want to get to, mm-hmm. and also, you know, explore some other other topics too. Um, so I guess the, the first question for us right now is, um, th- with this book, it, Joanna Farrar already asked, uh, why this book, <laughs> which you always do, <laughs> but, uh, basically I mean, it's been a little bit since, you know, a couple months since it's been published. Um, so yeah. what were you intending with this book and has it, uh, done what you wanted it to do so far? Ooh, good question. Yes. Cause it, it's, it came out in whatever it was, February, March, something like that. Right. Uh, I, this was just the next book. I have this kind of joke. It's not really a joke because it's going to happen. Like my dot trilogy um, with Scarlet Imprint, right? And it's sort of like the shamanic three worlds. Starships is my book of the past uh, and the ancestors and so on. And the next book is obviously going to be about the future, which means this book is going to be the present, right? So that's sort of where it sits in the shape of the things that I wanted to or needed to say and consequently it is about presencing and re-presencing and actually um, stepping into a universe in flow rather than like uh, past or or forward so that's kind of what I wanted what I also wanted to do was because I have to take some responsibility for this um, the a word animism is very popular particularly in in like magical circles uh, at the moment which is cool um, I mean, I literally did just write a book about it, of course, but it was being applied as a label and shared and explored without realizing that it's actually, it's, it's a dangerous term. Uh, it's a dangerous term in terms of where we got it from, because it was uh, a function of othering and, and a really specific kind of othering where we basically considered um, non-Western peoples to be intellectually the equivalent of children, and that's obviously embedded in the much wider project of taking their shit, right? Um, so 
if we just go like, oh, I'm an animist, it's like, well, hang on a minute, that term still has a lot of energy that needs to uh, be worked through. And I'm, I'm really interested in these terms that are right on the edge of that, right? So permaculture is another really good example of a term that I think still has some energy. Um, it's or chaos magic or something. There are, these words are challenging because maybe they're a bit dated or maybe they refer to things that are a bit dated or maybe the people who have sailed in them in, in the previous decades have taken the term places that don't really work or, or match where we are anymore. So I'm always kind of like touching base on which terms still have energy or use in them because one of the things you can do, you can either write a book on animism or you can write a book on why you should stop calling yourself an animist, right? <laughs> and, and I'm sort of sitting with like, no, actually, I, I think the term, I actually think one of the ways we come out of a cultural way of being that causes us to generate terms like animism is to stay with it, is to stay with its trouble and explore its good and bad. And, and there is a lot of good in there, right? Like it, there really is. And so that, that was kind of the decision I made because it was like, do I write a book about animism or how you should stop calling yourself that? And, and the, the one, like how you should stop calling yourself that, whilst it's a valid position, it's certainly a valid position for people to take, but it's also an easier book. And it's a book of predetermined conclusions. And it's also, I don't think a book that lives in an animist or living universe, right? Like it actually still is in that uh, weaponized academia, I think. So that's, that's kind of like the why and what I hoped it to do. And I think it has, I actually am seeing uh, people use the term with the right kind of trepidation and, and more specifically, not just like, yay, I'm an animist, because that's the other thing people think, which is, and it's not like this is wrong, but it's not the only thing that's there. Like talking to your tomatoes, there's a little bit more to it than that, right? So I, I have seen, I think, in the brief few months, a little bit of a change in that. I've also, I'm stuck in some amazing, stuck's a weird word, I'm stuck in some amazing conversations with people who've depth psychologists who hadn't even heard of me or the show or anything before that have got their hands on the book, uh, you know, so there's some, it's managed to reach outside the frog pond of, I guess, um, occultism, which I'm quite excited for as well. So yeah, good question. That's, that's what I wanted to do. And I think it's in the, it is its own thing. It's what I wanted it to do, but it's in the process of doing something, some of which I wanted it to do. <laughs> and there's still, you know, it's only just come out really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Last time we talked, we didn't have the copy yet. We were sort of talking a little bit about the book, but having it and holding it in our hands, it's really just one of the most beautiful books that we've ever owned too. Like it's yes. a hardcover, gorgeous, gorgeous paper. Like, yeah, I love getting these compliments because they're like, they're not for me. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> My book <laughs> but is isn't beautiful. it though? Like it just is nothing. Come with it. <laughs> Enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It definitely is. Like the, the hardcover is fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did work with Alcistis on it, but she, it, it's hers. Like the, all, all credit goes to her for, for doing that for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, when you were speaking about still using the term animism, it sort of reminded me of your, what you call um, staying with the trouble. So I was wondering mm -hmm. if you could explain what that is a little bit. Yeah, definitely. That's a term or a phrase that um, Donna Haraway, she actually has a book more or less called that, uh, uh, came to about what we, 
what do we do when doing is fraught, right? So people, we have this something must be doneism that actually emerges out of the same mode of thinking that gives us stuff like animism and empires, right? It is a sort of, it is an intervention in a world where the only things that have agency are humans. And every time we do that, even for reasons that are correct, it's still a perpetuating of that. So, so climate alarmism is something I find very frustrating because it's getting in the way of something that's very important and making it worse. <laughs> and uh, it has this something must be doneism that we're sort of dealing with now with um, the, the looming restrictions on people's hydrocarbons and all the rest of it. And it's, it's literally the same way of thinking that got us into this mess. So then it's like, well, what do you do if doing is fraught? What do you do about, uh, what do you do when doing displaced indigenous peoples from lands and, and, and cause all this, this kind of trouble? And, and, and Donna Haraway came with like staying with the trouble. Now what that means is amongst other things, is to make room for the outside of and more than human to participate in the ongoing, in the becoming. When we intervene, we think we know what every fucker should do, including ourselves, right? And that's genuinely the same attitude. That is an imperial attitude. That's mapping and renaming all the mountains. That's all that kind of stuff. And it got us here, you know? Uh, and so staying with the trouble is an invitation to other humans, but also the outside of human to be in, in this moment so that other things, new things can be generated. And it's, yeah, it's really powerful. It's, uh, I actually, some of her earlier stuff, because uh, I did communication and whatever in the late 90s, early, early noughties, uh, and some of her earlier stuff, like the cyborg theory, didn't really resonate with me. So it took me a while to read that book. And, uh, and I love it. <laughs> She's redeemed herself uh, in, in my eyes, not that she needs to, but she has uh, with this kind of term that I have found a lot of medicine in. And, and like a practice, I found a lot of medicine in because that's the sort of, that's a really good uh, invitation or first step that applies to a bunch of stuff, right? Like um, stay with the trouble is, is, is almost like, it's not the full way to indigenous thinking in, this, in the way like Martin Prechtel would sort of refer to it as. But um, it's most of the way there. It's like an, it's acknowledging agency and, and community and so on. So yeah, it's powerful. Yeah, I, I really like that way of thinking. And I, I, I first, I think the, my only uh, knowledge of, of her was the cyborg, cyborg thing uh, in like a communi communications class uh, back in the day. But uh, seeing you know, where she's gone, it's very, it's very uh, helpful. It's helpful. Um, and I also see that like, it's sometimes it's hard to like plant your flag, especially in today with like, you know, social media and so on. Like I am this, I mean, that's what yeah. social media wants you to do. Like you want to, I am this thing. But for me, it's so hard to do that because everything is so complicated and nuanced, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard to like say that I am this. Um, but I, I see how like staying with the trouble of animism or permaculture you know because like I, I trained in permaculture um but also for me like occultism and um neoplatonism neo you know like there's a there's a definite a trouble in there <laughs> but there's also yeah. there's energy that and yeah to, to that can that is to be released and to be explored um and it's also like is is animism worse than any other ism you know like the trouble I, of animism, mm -hmm. 
Like it's like any. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's better than most. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it is still an ism. It's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, <laughs> so um, that this actually brings us to one of the 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 ideas in your book that I think is very helpful, and it's been touched on, uh, you know, in other uh, interviews with you, uh, and of course it's touched on in your book. But um, this this idea of products of thought versus ways of thinking and i think that's very important like for me i can just look at permaculture and say like permaculture is more the kind of thing more of a way of thought uh, you know ideally uh, whereas like a, an herb spiral is a product of thought um yeah, but exactly. like, yeah so how do you how do you you know talk about that and and, and how has that helped you so that, that's based on um tyson young kapura so an, an indigenous um academic, I was about to say here in Australia, I'm not home yet, uh, in Australia, he's his way of framing the differences between a broadly speaking indigenous way of thinking um, or a framework, um, which is another term I use from um, sort of like a Mohawk woman in that. Um, and products of thought are, products of thought exist in a theory of mind in a, in a kind of like fixed and complete universe. So, and ways of thinking don't. And it's really, and we, if you cannot distinguish between the two of them, even with the best will in the world, you get uh, lost, right? So you might, so a good example would be, you might, I use a dream catcher, like as, as the example of this, like something you might want to pick up at, uh, you, you pick up at a gas station or, or something, you know, like, oh, look at this, like, you know, this will protect you from having bad dreams if you're hanging above the bed. That's a product of thought because that comes out of a way of thinking. But people don't actually get a, uh, people don't get when they do that, a turtle island um, theory of the imaginal or experience of the potency of dreams, right? Like it's this thing that comes out of it, but it's not the thing itself. And once it comes out of it, what it means is you're in, you're putting it in a materialist naturalist uh, theory of mind where it's kind of already dead. So the example Tyson uses in his book, Sand Talk, is uh, like there's a, you know, an, an economics conference in Sydney, Australia. And so during the lunch, when they have like an indigenous performance kind of cultural exhibition thing, they have people along for that, but they don't invite indigenous elders to the, uh, to the economics conference for their ways of economic thinking, right? Which are obviously rather counter to the kind of economics you'd get at, at an economics conference. And so that was a difference. And it's not even like the people who were sitting down to the lunch were like being racist or anything. It's just the dance is a product of thought. Having indigenous elders talk to you about ad abundance and sharing and co-responsibility is a way of thinking. And that he said, we're not, and it's, it's still true, but hopefully changing. We're not as interested in, in ways of thought. I think ways of thought are more dangerous. They destabilize us, right? Like products of thought. The the genius, if you if it can be called that, of the imperial way of thinking is by definition that it can take other people's shit and, and put it in its own little field, right? Its own little map, its own little country. So we're really good at products of thought, <laughs> but ways of thinking destabilize that very idea. So it's, it's one of those kind of important, I would say, um, cornerstones or kind of like major arteries of the book. Yeah, for sure. And you, like yeah with the empire thinking it's it's like um the the, the ways of thinking are actually uh, they are they're dangerous to that dominant mode of thinking but the products of thought can very easily be co-opted and just 
yes trying to do a commodity you know so yeah. <laughs> they're great you know, yeah. dr Tim, dr Tim, timingo calls it museumification right like as soon as we and it's not that because the whole book is to answer that question like well how do we co-learn how do we learn from other countries and uh, cultures in a non-extractive way and it's like well now we're using words like culture and extractive that are in ours and uh, there is a way to do it that's kind of what the book is but it's that when you when you take it you objectify quite literally something when you when you move it into that into a system where everything's dead and not in context which is materialist naturalism so then what do you think are thoughts or what am thoughts yeah uh So I th there's a kind of William James, Jeff Kripal idea that, and obviously from Jung as well, that the psyche isn't in us, we're in it. Uh, and so the imaginal is not something that's inside us, uh, we're in it, right? And anyone who's done any work in that area of any competence like Jung uh, comes to that conclusion. So, and in fact, when Jung is writing the Red Book, he's, he's encountering biblical patriarchs who were saying like you think you invented us like you know my good bitch <laughs> um we predate you and we will postdate you and and they, these are thoughts right these are thoughts so what i do and it's possible is you can kind of you don't have to do this but for me i just think it's easiest to just assume that the imaginal and the spirit world are identical now not all thoughts are spirits um a lot of them are but as a human who is embedded in this imaginal or this spirit world, one of our spirit capacities, if you will, is to generate thoughts, right? So that's a thing we can do. So when you say, what are thoughts? It's more, this is almost like a products of thought ways of thinking, but not quite. It's, well, what do you think thinking is? And, and, and what happens? Like, what is the imagination and so on? Like, what, what are thoughts made of? Where do they live? It's like, well, where do we live? And I think we live in that. And, and that's one of those important kind of, I guess, important but small steps into stepping into it. What's been interesting traveling around the world these last four months, uh, and you know, what do you do? I'm an author, have you, like, this is my favorite second bit of this, because I'll ask like, oh, have you read, would I have read anything of yours? I'm like, well, how much do you read? You know, most people don't read books. Anyway, um, the book sounds super interesting. They're not going to read it, but it sounds super interesting. It's about spirits and the jungle and blah, 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 like really cool stuff, right? Uh, and then we'll get to uh, what I found is that people who you might be sitting next to on a plane, there's absolutely no pushback when you say, well, I think we're in the imaginal, the imaginal isn't in us. No one's pushing back on this. I think that's wonderful. So what, it's funny, like, uh, Imperial thinking is, is propped up on some very flimsy legs in certain places. And one of them is the theory of mind because no one pushes back on that. They're like, oh yeah, that actually, no, it feels right, but it resonates with my experience because all of a sudden you have a map for telephone telepathy and dreaming about someone who happens to like either show up or die the next day or all the rest of it. You're like, oh yeah. And I, I didn't even make a truth claim about what dreams are or anything i just said we're in it it's not in us and that i think is really powerful it's really it's been that coming up to like i didn't know i wanted it to do this but it has been fun that the book has opened the door to like complete normies having ideas that only sound radical until you sit with them and go wow that's actually how i experience and, and feel the world mm, yeah um 
this this brings me to another question though too and it's because there are often also like embedded you know ways of thinking that we don't even realize and it's hard it's difficult to think outside of them and but in even in like the you know occult scene the little frog pond um there seem to be so many you know magicians who are caught in a materialistic paradigm like yeah. they're caught in the scientific naturalism as, as you would say um why do you think that is I think because a lot of people in magic don't do magic in the same way a lot of people in permaculture don't do permaculture. And you can usually tell. Uh, it's funny, speaking of Peter and Alkistis, when I interviewed them very, very early on in the podcast, I was living in London, working in this rundown old department store, which was where timeout was, at the bottom of Tottenham Court Road. And um, I, I asked, like, how many practicing magicians do you think there are in the West? It was like 200. Uh, and that, obviously they sell more books than that. But in terms of the feedback they would get, of, and I think you meant grimoire magicians, but even that seems kind of optimistic now. Uh, and I, I think that's a big part of it. I think it's just, uh, you. And in my first book, second book, whichever one it is, um, Chaos Protocols, talk about becoming invincible. You need to have something happen to you that is big enough that you don't slip into that. Um, why you, they're still operating like, um, yeah. They're still operating in materialism and more, more than that, like a capitalist materialist naturalism where you can purchase an identity uh, and, and, the, and, the, and the failure to notice the difference between I have purchased an identity inside materialist naturalist capitalism and I am that thing um, as a separate. I, they genuinely do not have the life experience to tell the difference between like simulacra and re reality. So I think, and the trouble with that is the belief system has uh, any attack on the belief system further embeds the belief system. So you kind of can't get people out of it um, externally, almost by definition. So I think that's a big part of it. I think it's there are a lot of people who declare magician who aren't magicianing. Yeah, I th I think well. So for me also, I didn't start out as a magician. I started out like on the on like a more of a spiritual path of, of like self-inquiry you know and um i think that that is a pretty crucial part too because it, it's it's you don't know it's hard to know you know who you even are and so you can't separate the avatar in the in the metaverse mm -hmm. from uh <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah yourself <laughs> um but this also brings me to like your book too because in your book and in some of the methods that you use um you know are like I well ayahuasca and entheogens and those have been important for me too but that's not something that I do currently um but it it seems like those those have the potential to shock somebody out of a yeah. paradigm um but there's also the long slow work of like self-inquiry of healing of uh, whatever you want to call it um that also has to happen or there you know it, it's just an experience to buy you know so um how like how have you managed that and like you know is is there ayahuasca for poor people <laughs> so i was on a call with one of my all-time heroes wade davis um the national geographic explorer in residence amongst other things end of last year and he kind of made the point that um we have this idea that sort of 
and again, a bunch of problematic words coming, but you know what I mean. We have this idea that there's this sort of like worldwide shamanism that uh, has like sacred um, entheogenic plants associated with it. But actually more than 80% of all entheogens, you said about 90% of all entheogens are only found in the Americas, like ritual entheogens, right? So um, the mushrooms are endemic to Central America, the toads, um, ayahuasca and all the children and all the other stuff in the Amazon. If you go to um, Aboriginal Australia, as far as we can tell, and this might change, but as far as we can tell, there aren't any of those things. So um, it's not, I wanted, to, it's, we are so broken that it's a powerful medicine to have, but it is also the exception rather than the norm in, in terms of how humans have come to um, come back to relationality or sustain relationality with the more than human. Mostly it's not that, right? So um, it's certainly, although it's coming out of popularity, I think in, in a good sense, like the, everything gets its moment in, it's horrible moment in, in like the, the, the capitalist Facebook sun. And, uh, and ayahuasca was that for a while. Uh, and it's sort of coming out of it a bit. Yeah. Uh, and I, I pity the next thing that comes in, right? Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's not necessary. Um, it, people typically will have a calling for it. So I, I, you know, I do energy healing, shamanic energy healing and so on. And there will be clients where like ayahuasca will show up in the room and there'll be clients where it's like, I'll say you're a good candidate for ayahuasca if that's something that appeals to you because she showed up and said he's a good candidate or she's a good candidate uh, and so that and that's a, that doesn't happen that often right so I think that's it I think if, if people kind of and people people who I adore like Terence McKenna have kind of built this story that that's how it should be done and there's something really archetypally um, compelling about the idea that you can drink a magic potion and live forever, right? Like that's kind of cool. So there's a lot of stuff that leads people in that direction, but it's it's absolutely none of it's necessary. Certainly not alcohol or any of that kind of stuff. You can uh, you can do it uh, without. And and I think that's cool. And, and I, I'm certainly oh god, I've just done a month of it, right? I am super excited to not be doing any ayahuasca for a while. You know, um, super excited at the prospect of not having that uh, in my life uh, for a bit. And what I have learned over the last couple of years in particular is those kind of, I've gotten a lot better at um, the transformational stuff that can happen at the level of the field. Uh, but yes, ayahuasca will kick, you do it right, it will kick the door in and, and, and drag you out into this glorious magical world. Uh, but it's, it's not, it's certainly not the only way and it's not even like, the central way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good reminder. I'm curious about your travels, though. So you were you you're still traveling. It's been four months, right? And you've been in Mexico yeah. and Ecuador, and where else have you been? Mexico, Ecuador, Peru, and I'm just finishing up a month um, in New Zealand. And so, I, what's today? So I'll be back on the farm in a week and a day. Oh, cool. Uh, um, yeah, so and each each step, the flights have gotten worse and riskier uh, in terms of like, is this plane going to get cancelled or what? Right. Um, so I've got one, two, I've got three more flights between me and the farm. And it's kind of like the same thing as I was doing. Like, and then I'm not going to go to an airport for a while. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Are you excited to, to get back? 
I am. It was like living in Australia over the last, well, it's, we're halfway through this year now, but there were two years there, two and a bit, where living in Australia was not good. Um, you know, up there with Canada and New Zealand in terms of like the tyranny and uh, restrictions and so on. And that caused me a lot of trauma, which is literally what I'm healing through with this. But one of the reasons I wanted to stay away for so long was um, we had a federal election in May, which went the way I wanted it to, not wanted it to, I expected it to. I didn't want it to go either way. I'm done with electoral politics, but um, it, it went in the way where it's like, I guess we can look forward to more technocracy and control. Uh, and so I was in Ecuador at the time and put in an offer in a place in the Andes because um, I was literally, it was kind of one of the things I wanted to do in Mexico was uh, like encounter the Maya ancestors and Maya landscape to learn how to collapse in style. Um, and because they did. And the other thing, like sort of seeing the other places I'd want to live and I love Ecuador, like I would still live there, but coming back to them, I'm looking forward to the place. So I put in an offer uh, and this beautiful, beautiful, like, three acres, like literally in the Andes, like warm Andes, right? Equatorial Andes. So you're looking that way into the, what's it called? The Macrocarpa National Park, like waterfalls. It looked like a map painting. I'm like, this can't be, right? Anyway, so of course I put in an offer on it. And then it was two or three days later was the first time I sat with the medicine in a year. And that was in the Andes further north. And pretty much the first thing she said was no. <laughs> oh, really? Not no. Good. <laughs> you are where you're supposed to be i mean i love tasmania i love my little farm and whatever but i don't like tyranny and she's like no you're where you're supposed to be and i'm like oh okay and that was sort of one of one of the recurring motifs was discovering and and and, and exploring that so it's a load off at least you kind of know because i sort of vaguely know what's going to happen at least i know which apocalypse over the next decade i have to i have to deal with because you know if you're in an area that's going to get caught more in World War Three, that's one you're going to have to deal with. World War Three probably not coming to Tasmania. We're all right for like food and so on. So I guess we'll deal with the like the digital currency technocracy one. And it's it's in a funny way, it's a relief. It's like okay, well, I guess that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like no, I, I, yeah, yeah. Like tyranny is not yeah. ideal, but like ayahuasca telling you what to do, you're like. All right, that that is a really okay. It, it, it's where I'm, if if it's where I'm supposed to be, it actually takes a lot of the trauma out of the experience. It's like, well, I'm supposed to be here, so mm -hmm. I'll, I'll I'll make the best of whatever happens, which was yeah. good, rather than the my natural inclination being Jewish and also with like the sort of ninth house Cancer. Um, so like my home is on the road kind of stuff is to be like, oh, this is unsatisfying. I'm out. <laughs> right. She's like, no, 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 you have to, you have to stay there. So I am very much looking forward to it. One of the fascinating things that started happening during all these ceremonies was she'd be flashing up just these really quotidian, innocuous, not even like because Tasmania is very beautiful, but like she just sort of show the corner of the road where you drive down to get to the gas station or a bit of the highway heading north. Just life in Tasmania, not even the, like the cool, pretty stuff, not like Cradle Mountain or, or you know, Wine Glass Bay or any of that. And that was really interesting. She was actually just like literally showing me life in Tasmania. Uh, and that was, that kind of helped me on, on the kind of like a recovery journey. Cause I, I left Australia going like, I will literally not come back <laughs> if you guys don't get your act together. Like in my head, I didn't say that at customs or what have you. Uh, and it was really, it was a nice, gentle way of kind of like letting me know again that life happens everywhere. So it was good.
Yeah, we're, awesome. we're kind of in a, a somewhat of a similar position. I mean, we live in New York State. Um, we're out in the country, so we're kind of in, like in the West Virginia of New York. Um, and a lot of the tyranny didn't really like reach out this far, you know, like it just no one yeah. cares about us out here. Um, and it kind of seems like Tasmania is in a similar kind of it's like that the the backwater of Australia. No one <laughs> exactly, exactly. And <laughs> and um, yeah, the trouble is I don't know about so Tasmanians are not as familiar as I expect New York Staters would be with things like corruption and tyranny, they generally expect people to be good. And so they're easier to bamboozle. And that's the same here in uh, New Zealand, where the, 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 they still got mask stuff going on, which is very frustrating. Although most people aren't doing it. Not most people, but I, I'm staying in the kind of like inner suburb and, uh, or one of them, but like no, none of the kind of young bars or anything, are, they're not masked, they're supposed to be and, and what have you. But New Zealand is the second least corrupt country on earth behind Sweden, which means they're actually, which sounds great, great to live in until corruption shows up because you're just not used to it. You don't know that people can have ulterior motives. And that was the kind of thing like no one, it was fun to live in, in regional Tasmania as fun as it can be in terms of, yeah, it was the best place inside a tyranny to live. But the people around me don't realize that it was a tyranny. <laughs> a lot of them, like I had a bunch of friends who, who did, but that's been interesting. And maybe it's slightly different for you guys because you have like a, you have Gotham nearby, so people might be a little bit more cynical about the world, um, yeah. but in Tasmania, they're not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the mafia kind of runs, the, you know, the state. It's called the Empire <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the New York snark that everybody just, yeah, is, is prepared for yeah. any sort of level of corruption. We're not faced by it, yeah. Which is, like, I mean, it's not, it's a pity that we live in a world that's like that, but it does mean that people are a bit more worldly wise, like, my neighbors are hobbits it's just what it is mm -hmm. yeah. that's, that's, it's mm -hmm. nice though it's nice to be nice it is nice it, it, absolutely they're, they're lovely people you know yeah, yeah. It, and i think um like as far as like collapsing goes and tyranny goes it, it it's sort of like um the 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 centers where all the resources are and the uh luxuries are uh to get your hand in that pie you know you've got you're gonna have to submit to more tests and uh whatever yeah. rules and regulations mm -hmm. um but the people who don't care um don't aren't gonna like our amish neighbors you know nothing nothing happened to them like they, they're, they're their last three years have been you know amazing they've been making money hand over fist yeah. the sawmills are going crazy you know yeah. like <laughs> nothing happened like you know, nothing bad happened whatsoever uh they, they're 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 fine <laughs> that's great good yeah, yeah, but I guess it's it's like the, the thing of like well, you know how much luxury do you want? <laughs> no. Oh, exactly, and because and I don't obviously before maybe the last two and a half years I can kind of, I get the argument because I did it I get the argument for living in cities. Um, yeah. I just I always knew it would be only for a part of my life, and I really enjoyed it. I had an incredible job in London, and you know was living everything that a big city can offer. Uh, and, and then it kind of got old to say the least. Um, but so, but I think that's, that's literally the case. It's a trade-off of like, if you want these things, you have to live like that. And I don't think, yeah, yeah. I, I think people, it, it is repriced in people's heads 
what living in somewhere like New York or whatever means. And that's kind of good. Maybe I think a whole bunch of people have woken up to like, actually, I don't necessarily want this. I think I want something different. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely happening mm-hmm. and has happened. Um, yeah, but uh, maybe to, to get back to ayahuasca. And by the way, I kind of like the way this conversation is going because in the, in the book, you do this too. It's like, it's like part, you know, digesting all these important ideas to you and then part like your travel logs and your like journal and so that's i think that's pretty cool um well i had to i had to center place if you were because i in the introduction and i got this idea from tim ingold that one of the things that traps legitimate intellectual inquiries still in that kind of western materialist naturalism is they only let things that are in other books be authoritative so that you write a book and you've got to reference other books right uh, and and that we got that from the cathedral schools. So we actually universities emerged from an ecclesi- they still have an ecclesiastical structure, but like they they emerged quite literally from cathedrals. So when you have a whole institution built around one book being correct and other books being commentary on that one book being correct, you build a method of making things true that is just books talking to each other, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you want. Uh, if you think otherwise, so if you think that a mountain or a river is true but has something true to say, it's like, how do I put that in a book? Uh, and, and so part of it, like each chapter is in a very specific place because it is centering the place because place is one of the things that, uh, well, or one of the categories of beings that was so informative in my, in my journey to writing the book. So yeah, it, 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 it does get a bit travelogy in that sense, which I like. Hmm. And you talk about the difference between place and space. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Mm-hmm. Mm. So uh, that's my, I, I, well, we, we've ended up, and this is just how languages develop, right? So uh, we have this idea, we use space, we use things like making space, sacred space. Um, this has really opened up the space when you do something in, in your house or whatever. Uh, and, and space is an absence and there is no absence in a living universe, right? Like you are always somewhere. So even space itself is a place is, is kind of something they wrote or as Sun Ra sang, it is the place, right? Uh, so, and, and it's just one of those terms that people use that brings a whole cosmology with it, a whole cosmology of like a dead complete universe because it means, it implies that something can be absent. And it's, it's the development of language that we've ended up doing that. So we, and we've, we kind of have a bit more of that energy left. Uh, the word room comes from like the German realm. Uh, and so that's a different idea of a container where things can happen. And instead of it being blocked off, um, the edges of it, as Heidegger says, is actually like where things begin to be present. Like it's a, a horizon of awareness or presency. And it's a, it is a powerfully different way of being anywhere right so and and it's really important for magic because we talk about like creating sacred space this is that's like a weirdly destructive act um because you're essentially removing all con it's it's antibiotics right like you're removing all context and and relationality and that's not done anywhere else that's kind of like that sort of neoplatonic meets materialism's influence everywhere else opens with an acknowledgement of country one way or the other like recognizing land and sky and and specifically that land (laughs) and that sky right Uh, and we think of that as some sort of 
yeah, antibiotic process or, uh, or, or disinfection. And that's not how you, that's not just the opposite of relationality. So I'm really interested in that. And it, it has, I think, bearing on um, journeys like permaculture, right? Because that same thinking of like, well, what are we doing with this space? Uh, is like, well, it's not a space. <laughs> um, it's a place or it's a hill or, or, or what have you. And the, they look, it, it's not, once you step into that, uh, I think it's been my experience anyway that life gets more coherent because I actually think humans are naturally in that state and then we're using words that don't quite match our experience and then we're like getting dissociated as a result of it. But just a few extra words or just a change of some of the words and you bring into alignment your experience of a living cosmos because I don't think anyone, you, you have to have some kind of very special kind of perhaps brain damage to experience the universe is dead. I don't think anyone does. I, I, and, and we're just using this language for it. And it's, it's profoundly dissociative. But there are just little clever linguistic techniques in. Uh, and they're just these really subtle, what um, Carol Sanford would call like a, a nodal interaction or, or nodal intervention. If you just stop using the word space, it's quite powerful. <laughs> it's, it's actually like this, wow. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm really happy that that's been something that people have been, um, have taken and run with actually. Yeah, I think it's really important just like these kind of seemingly subtle changes of word choices, but like to occupy space or to occupy place, like, yeah, it, it just gives a different context when you think about place as like a living being thing versus space. Yeah, and if, and if you think of the universe as composed of, like a community of beings. I, I think it like occupy space or to take up space. Mm. And these are kind of terms that are used in oh. activism for want of a better word. Uh, and what that actually, if you can picture it as like cutting away the webs um, around a person and situating them just like in this circle, not attached to anything else. If you like take up space or occupy space, what you're actually doing is a bulldozing over what's there rather than like coming into relation, uh, coming into central relation with place and others, you're, you, you retain that context. And it's just, um, I was looking at some reviews of the, the terrible Lord of the Rings thing that's coming out um, from um, Amazon. And it, Lenny Henry, who I love was being interviewed and he says, the, the role of my character is to take up space in like the middle of this story. And one that's silly for a character role, but like, or, or character motivation, but more like every time I see the word space, I'm like, no, Lenny, <laughs> that's not actually what is happening. Uh, to take up space is to be in a, uh, you are in a, a, like a central relation with place and, and context. And it's, it's different because it, 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 it brings, uh, it gives place its agency. It gives other people its agency and it's more empowering and also kind of, you don't have to do everything then. You're not alone in, in like an empty universe when that happens. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you're not displacing other other beings. Correct. We're ignoring them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that is such a big, huge, huge takeaway from any mystic. Um, I'm wondering if you could also talk about the telling as a concept. Um, sure. I really liked what you what you said um, science in relation. Go on. Yeah, you, I really liked what you said about science in relation to the telling of um, 
like science is a story that forgot it was a story. Yeah, um, exactly. So the telling is uh, a concept from um, Ursula Le Guin, uh, and it's it's in her like Hainish cycle, or the, which shouldn't be called a cycle, but it's there's this planet uh, where, and it's based on the experience or, or what happened to um, China following the communist revolution. So it's actually based on the um, the destruction of like you know forests of stories um, by this by this like um, totalizing and totalitarian and materialist um, framework, right? But the telling was sort of like the the uh, the cosmology of cosmologies of this planet, where it was not so much not that it had to be frivolous, but the sanctity was in the telling of a tale, not the content of its tale, right? So the it's one of the things that humans cosmically are expected to do is tell, right? And so that can be songs, that can be paintings, that can be whatever it happens to be, and science is a tell. So, but it doesn't realize that it is. Um, science is a song about, so biology is a really good example. Biology can be a specific song about plants. It's not that the stuff that's in it is wrong. It's just that it's, it's a song. There are other songs about plants, right? There are Icaros, there are what have you. And it just seemed like the, the perfect um, tale. So it seemed like the perfect tell to encapsulate where we situate science to make it free. Because one of the things I kind of wanted to do was free it. Uh, it we've, we're making it, it's like trying to live in your car. Um, it's not a house, right? But like, but the car exists. It's just, you're using it wrong, right? And you're expecting it to do stuff that it can't do. And we do that with science. We're expecting it to be all of creation when it is, and this is where it is powerful and beautiful, when it's a tale, when it's a song, it's a voice in a choir. Uh, and that is, kind of, because I had to begin with like, well, you can't, there have been anti-science books that have been written in a kind of like, the universe is alive, therefore science is wrong. That's, it's not wrong. <laughs> it's, um, we just need to uh, let it come back down to its normal size, right? We need to let it come back down to its normal size. And I think um, Ursula, inevitably, Ursula Le Guin, gets everywhere before the rest of us because I think she was one of the cleverest people of the 20th century, right? Um, and, and one of the most profound. So I, I, I kind of, I like the idea of having that towards the end of the book as, because the animistic is a telling, like that, that kind of whole idea and, and, and it's a book. And so it sort of worked on that, uh, on that fractal way or that multi-dimensional fractal way that indigenous thinking actually does, right? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you like that. That, that seemed, I was trying to work out how I, how I leave science um, and because it definitely, it, it's important and powerful and when it's done right, beautiful. But it, it's just not done <laughs> right that often, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's become a, a product of thought. Right? <laughs> so, so, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we've just put mm -hmm. so much weight on it. And you even said that like we call it like the one real thing rather yeah than, you know, just a story or a part of the story. Or tool. And that sounds, it must be exhausted. That it sounds exhausting, right? Like, yeah. And like, people know that science changes all the time and that it takes years for studies that were conducted to actually be 
practiced by medical doctors and, you know, we know that science changes, but we're still like trying to say that science is truth. It's like the one truth. Well, it's not even that science is truth is that, you know, this one thing is it's one particular <laughs> bit. Exactly. Of yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which isn't fair to a science. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. But because it's also destroying the, uh, the tool, you know, like I, I absolutely very yeah. possible that in a hundred years, you know, the scientific method is poo pooed the way that magic is poo pooed today, you know, mm. uh, because it's it was you know <laughs> used incorrectly, used mm. to, uh, in, in as a tool for power, and so on. I mean, but that, that maybe just the way that dominant, you know, paradigms that's what happens to them. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um. So and, yeah. Well. well Speaking of tools, um, we wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite tools for living in this time? What are some of the best tools that you've found? Yeah, over all these years of, of doing Rune Soup and sharing with yeah. people, you know. Um, particularly after the last four months. So tool is interesting. Because tool comes with, again, in this sort of in the book, this kind of like theory of technology about what is a tool and, and, and who makes it and, 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 and so on. Is it agentic and, and what have you? So one of the things that has been interesting on in this kind of healing journey has been realizing that um, the fewer the better. Yeah. So um, earthing in the sense of literally spending at least 40 minutes a day with your feet on the ground, um, bare feet on the ground, um, breath techniques like Wim Hof and all the rest of it. So that's a tool, I guess, um, those kind of things. It's like, well, is having my bare feet on the ground a tool? <laughs> I don't know who it is. Like the whole kind of like, what's his name, Clint, I forget, the, the earthing guy. Um, that's sort of a tool. Like it's, it's got this um, cosmology behind it. Um, the Wim Hof method is definitely a tool uh, and, that's one that I think really works. So in terms of like, what are the tools that have been most beneficial for now? They're the ones that look the least like um, what we would consider tools at the moment, right? But I think in that sense, they're perfect. Like mm-hmm. the Wim Hof method is, is a really good example. Like breath is sacred. You obviously die without it. We kind of do it wrong on every level from having our air being polluted to we actually aren't taught those kind of breathing techniques. So Wim Hof method is a tool that's, uh, that belongs in a sacred universe, right? Because breath is sacred. And it's sort of the same with like earthing. It's like, well, earth is sacred. And, and the, um, the negative ion charge, this is kind of like that science thing, right? Where one of the reasons earthing is so good for um, healing and the rest of it is because the earth is negatively charged. And so you have all these receptors on your feet and you're kind of, you're doing that kind of like um, free radical style cleanup by just having your feet on the ground. But is that the only thing that's going on when your feet are on the ground? Right. Um, And when you intentionally put your feet on the ground, I don't think it is, right? Because I think the earth is alive, right? So um, this is a really good example of science and the telling, like you actually have a a voice in the choir saying there is medicine in putting your feet on the earth and it's like a a negative, it's it's free radical cleanup amongst other stuff. So it's anti-inflammatory, but that's one voice in the choir of like feet on the earth, right? Same thing sort of like with Wim Hof and, and breathing. So I think those are the, any technique that can bring you into, that's not the right way of saying it, uh, techniques that can center 
the, the fact that the universe is alive and sacred uh, and, and speak to these times of, uh, and simultaneously speak to these times of dissociation and poison and, and all the rest of it are the ones you want. Like we, earthing as a technique only exists because we wear shoes and we live in concrete, right? It's, it's, it's a corrective to something that we only did recently in the last, you know, really hundred years, but in general. So it's a corrective. So it's a tool that corrects back. Maybe it's like braces, I don't know. Um, and I think find, tech, find tools that can do that. They're the ones that are like, yeah, like force those are the tools for now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. our Amish neighbors, um, I mean, you know, Aaron Yoder, he, you know, he's, he's on his bare, bare feet most of the time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like he's good feet in the earth yeah. i mean us too really mm -hmm. but yeah. yeah and i guess like tools is different than like ideas like on your show you say you you know best ideas for living in this world mm -hmm. which are you know that's kind of what your show is about <laughs> um, yeah it's also what this yeah, book's yeah. about too it's like some of those ideas yeah. and uh, ways of thinking um but yeah but, i don't know i'm gonna think about that tools because i mine it just makes me sound like a luddite I'm like well favorite tools are like books <laughs> and make sure you have like an expensive kitchen knife and a good pan. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> but, uh, but they all kind of come back to like, well, they, they are, they facilitate an experience of the sacred. Right. Yeah. Um, that said, I will probably buy the iPhone 14. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I just went back to a, a <laughs> I am more of a Luddite, just, you know. I'll say that. <laughs> well, I actually went back to a flip phone. Uh, oh. <laughs> I would like to. It's just, yeah, the sort of the video content that I, I, I need to do over the summer. Like I, I'm carrying all these cameras, some of which are only, the, the GoPro is only like, probably won't be as good as the iPhone 14 when it comes out in terms of picture quality. So it's, yeah. it, it's still, I'm still buying like the devil's goods, but in the direction of simplicity is right. how I will explain it to my accountant. Well, they're yes. very, very useful <laughs> tools, you know. They're very powerful. Yeah, tools. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm, if you're if you're using the iPhone 14, you're up at 3 a.m. on TikTok, and you have been for the last three and a half hours, and you're getting all that red light, a uh, blue light, and all the rest of it. It's not good for you at that point. But that won't be me. <laughs> we we don't even keep them in the same room as us. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, that has been one of my issues. Is <laughs> easier to just not have it, um, mm -hmm. but. So to, to go forward to, um, we've talked about your book a lot, um, but you've also, like in, in your personal practice, like you've, you've now been um, offering services as a shamanic practitioner, mm -hmm. you know, and that seems, I mean, first of all, that's another word, term that uh, is troubled, you know, but you're staying yeah. with that. Staying with um, the trouble there. But yeah, so how has that been? How, um, why are you staying with that trouble? Why are you calling yourself why are you you know offering services as that rather than like a magician for hire or you know another kind of thing like well, yeah why that and and how, how's that journey been yeah um so the why is we it's sort of obvious to anyone i think that um the medical system has not just not worked but is in a state of collapse and um, and of everything, including its reputation. So whatever you think is going on or however you think the next 10 years are gonna go, we are more, this is a return to sovereignty of our own health, right? 
Um, it's one of those kind of like earthing things. If we, we spent 100 years outsourcing health and it didn't go great. Um, and so specifically a healing modality, that was my thinking when I started with it in, when I made the decision in 2020. But in 2020, of course, I, like that was the year of most people being imprisoned. Australia still was. Um, and it was towards the end of the year. And I'm like, I realized I was in a lot of grief about not being able to get back to the, the jungle and, and whatever, because Peru is absolutely my happy place. And, um, and I'm like, well, if the Andes, if I can't get to the Andes, the Andes are going to have to come to me. And, um, and it was this weird, because I get sent a bunch of books for the podcast. Uh, and one of Alberto's books, Alberto Violdo, whose training I underwent, was sent to me a, a couple of years before. I think it came out in 2018. Um, and I, I, I made some snarky jokes about it to some friends when I was still using Twitter in like a private DM group, right? Uh, and then I ended up reading it and I'm like, oh, this is, mm, this is better than I thought it was. And it suddenly occurred to me, wait, Violdo. And I, I actually had bought, I rescue secondhand books, um, ones that I think I'll, if they're a couple of dollars and I think I'll read them at some stage, they go in the library. And I realized I had a couple of his like really early books that I picked up in, I think Hay on Y or Glastonbury or somewhere. And so he was in the back of my head as like, ah. Oh. So I started watching a few of his interviews and he is absolutely, 1990s Hay House um, kind of energy, right? Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't shake the fact that if I hadn't been to the jungle, some of the stuff that he said in the books would have just sounded like goo. Mm -hmm. But it, it isn't. <laughs> I mean, it does still sound like goo, but it looks like what happens to you when you go into the jungle uh, or the Andes or so on. Mm -hmm. So that was the kind of appeal on a personal and macro basis. And my mother, who's a pranic healer, so she is in a different system. She's been doing that for decades now. She asked me earlier this year, how are the healings going? How are your sessions going? And the thing I said was, it is such a privilege. That was the first thing that, that came to mind because in the four wind system, once you're initiated in it, you are in, in a lineage of these Andean healers and these other beings. And, and what Alberto teaches, because he learned this from his teacher is he uses space, but whatever, open sacred space and get out of the way. Uh, and that's a big part of, of how this process works. So it was, it's been very healing um, for me in that uh, context. And having just spent the last couple of months in Ecuador and Peru, uh, have it like post initiation and, and, and post doing all this sort of stuff, I recognize and understand things in, in a very, um, very different way. But that was the sort of the thinking behind it. It wasn't, maybe wasn't as intentional Again, this comes back to what do you think thoughts are? It just sort of happened that way and it felt right the whole way through. But it's been, yeah, it's been amazing. Um, and interesting, like the word is fraught. So shamanic practitioner is what, dare we say, sensitive, culturally sensitive people practicing in the West use, right? Um, by the end of the, the month in the jungle, ayahuasca said, you can use shaman if you want now. Cause I've been through, I had a couple of, dare I say, upgrades or things over the month of doing the medicine. So you can just use that word now if you want. And I'm like, wow, can I? <laughs> but according to her, I can. Um, so I don't think I will. I think it'll just, it's just it's too much drama. But uh, it's funny that it's a fraught word for maybe us outside of it who maybe overthink it, you know, uh, for the right reasons, but we do overthink it. It's like, can I use that word? The word comes from, you know, which is true. It's based on like a Siberian term and it kind of got washed through 150 years of academia and then spit out into the new age in the late 20th century. And like, it's a mess of a term, all true. 
But by the same token, there are people outside of the Anglosphere who are like, yeah, I'm a shaman. Like, they just, that's what they say. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, it, it's, a, it's something to stay with, like as a trouble, right? Like, well, let's see what the word shaman is going to do over the next 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. Because we know we're living in a, a living universe. The, mm -hmm. the world has not been exactly yet, right? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah well i well, what i can tell you is ayahuasca doesn't care too much for um politically precise terminology it's not what she's there for you know so that's why she's like you can use shaman now like now like as in you have earned it after doing this for a month kind of stuff right but you can use shaman now um and, and i know i mean i probably won't but there it is uh, mm. Yeah. that's that's the story of it i'm still a chaos magician and and all the rest of it as well and i still do magic but if, if anything it's turned out to be quite good to have the healing framework as almost like a job almost like i do this right, right? um within the context of the rest of it but yeah it's been good yeah cool. yeah cool yeah we, yeah so uh before we let you go which uh we should do here soon um the, talking about this i mean like that that's a something that happens to me a lot like a lot of people like when i tell people like i'm studying astrology they're like oh you know that's all the sun sun you know bullshit but they're just talking talking about some people on tiktok sharing their sun signs you know yeah. like <laughs> it, sometimes the goo the <laughs> it's it's to outsiders the goo and the like hardcore are, are the same thing um and then sometimes yeah. like i'll come back to the goo and be like actually that's hardcore um <laughs> oh agree 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 like that's uh <clears throat> my mother the energy healer mother right uh when i was in sydney i just graduated so i was about 21 or something didn't have a job was looking for stuff wasn't working out i ended up moving to new zealand which did work out but so i had this kind of really grim low times i wasn't very healthy and i was kind of lonely and it wasn't good and she's like you should go to her friends um would have these weekly she called them meditations. They're basically like channeling sessions. And I'm like, great. So this is this is really good for my self-esteem that I'm now like hang my mother is arranging play dates, not with my friends, but with hers. And so I went to one of them. And whole and this was like as new age as like ascended masters, all that kind of stuff, right? Holy shit, were these women potent, right? It was uh I felt like coming out of a K-hole, I don't know. I, like there were, there were G-forces in, in when these things came down and they were really, and it's, it's from the outside, it's like, yeah, every Wednesday morning we get together because um, one of these women was a devotee of Satya Sai Baba. We do some Satya Sai Baba mantras and then we do some, what we call meditations, but it's really like channeling the ascended masters. And I'm like, that does not sound like a good time when you're like cool or thought you were cool, obviously. Um, and it was so powerful. It was just some of the, like, they, they had real juice. These, yeah. these uh, you know, it sounds dismissive to say it, but I don't mean it that way, but they are, they were housewives on Sydney's North shore and they were really powerful. <laughs> so I know what you mean, like the woo, you come back to it and go like, wow, that's actually um, quite intense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love that story. Well, um, so I guess again before we let you go, uh, what, what have you got going on? What what are you excited for? You got an, an, are you working on another dot book about the future? Yes, yes, the third book, uh, and I got some real good learnings out of um, as you might expect from this trip, 
And there's also kind of a book about the trip, but the thing that's most, the two most imminent things, this quarter is speaking of energy healing in the members area at Rune Soup. Um, the, the course this quarter is energy healing. Uh, and the and Fortune's Fools will be out by the end of the year, which is my Lenormand deck and fortune telling book. So those are the two big things. It's funny, like, so we're almost at the end of the fortune telling project, myself and Colin, the artist. And uh, I, finishing, it's the same for everyone, but like finishing the project is kind of like, oh, I want to, I want to start writing these other two books. And I'm like, no. Yeah, 5%, that's, yeah. that was, that's what kills me too. Yeah. It's like I got 95% done and then on to the next thing. It's hard to, it's hard yeah, to get yeah, yeah. a little bit done. So. Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's what's going on. Um, and, and obviously I'm heading into spring eventually. So there are seed starts in the greenhouse at home and I'm looking forward to that part of it uh, coming up. I'm, I'm going to have climactically a weird 2022, right? Because I left when it was warm. And then I kind of went through a whole bunch of warm up until now. So my winter is only going to be like two months. It's kind of cool. Perfect. Yeah. yeah That's perfect. I, in, in the U.S., we, you know, go from like, you know, the north to Florida and back. That's kind of like snowbirding. In the wintertime. A lot of people do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's from Tasmania to uh, the jungles in uh, South Yeah. Carolina. Good way to yeah. do it, too. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, thank you very much, Gordon, for being on the show again. It's been a, a pleasure and uh, an honor um, and hope to talk with you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, Gordon. Bye.